Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus chapter 25? Another exciting series of lessons in Israelite law. We have to keep in mind that God obviously took great care, meticulous care in giving the law to make his people know that they were special and separate from the rest of the world. These obligations, these mandates were always for their good, but in line with the sacrificial system and the, the uh, sacrifices, the offerings that were provided for, also made the people understand that they could not keep the law perfectly. They, they, had to, they had to be atoned for. There had to be a way for the imperfection of their fallen nature to be uh, attended to, which, of course, that was the first part of Leviticus. So the, hol- uh, the holiness code continues here in Leviticus 25. And the first thing that we'll note is the Sabbath year. Uh, keep it in mind now that Moses is getting all this on, the, on Sinai and they still have a trek to Canaan. So all of these preparations are being made for the most part so that the nation will observe these laws in the land of promise. But they're not there yet. So, I'm playing a drum. Okay, got it. Yahweh spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the sons of Israel. You shall say to them when you come to the land. Now look at that word when, not if or perchance, when. This is the will of God. This is not, they can't, nothing can stop these people from finally settling the land. When you come to the land that I'm giving you, the land shall rest a Shabbat. To Yahweh, that is every, every seven years, every seventh year. You may sow your field for six years, and for six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in its produce, but in the seventh year, the land shall have a complete rest, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You shall not sow your field, nor shall you prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest, and you shall not pick the grapes you'd set aside for yourself. For it shall be a year of rest for the land and the produce of the Sabbath of your land of the land shall be yours to eat for you, for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the resident who uh, live and the residents uh, who lives, who live with you and all of its produce may be eaten also by your domestic animals and by the beasts that are in the land. Okay. 
this, the land will be there in perpetuity. The people will only be, be there a generation at a time. There should be care given by the present generation to make sure that everything they leave the next generation is at least in, in as good of a shape as what it was when they found it. But it's also the benevolence of God in that he lets them rest from those kinds of labors for a year. He lets the land rest for a year. And after six years of faithfully uh, working the land, there will be some produce, even without working it, there will be some produce that will come forward in the seventh year. So even as that produce comes from, Yahweh says, you can, you can take of it, you can eat of it, and you can dispense it in the way that you should. You just don't work the field that year. So the understanding is that they would gather and they would lay aside and they would prepare for the Sabbath year. There are a lot of, lot of lessons there. I know that land can be overworked and can be depleted after a certain period of time. I also know that, of course, Yahweh knows these people were required to work six days out of seven. So people, people, aren't, people don't work like that these days. They don't work six. I mean, you know, a, day, a day's work would be from the time the sun came up until the sun went down. So that was pretty hard work for the people when they would get to the land. Yahweh already knows that the land of Canaan will be prepared for them. That's why Yahweh permitted the Canaanites to come into the land before the Israelites came. The Canaanites were there just uh, by the pleasure of God to be sure and clear and work the, the land that was some of the most fertile land at that time in the world. This was the plushest land it will be easy for them to work the land because the people before them were put there to prepare the land for them. But the land has to be cared for and there will be other generations after them. So the land, you see the covenant is not just about the people. The covenant is also about the land. The people and the land go together in that sense. Uh, so that God has promised a land to the people and he has promised a people that they will have that land. Now that covenant with Abraham, that, that covenant of the land goes way back. They still aren't there. These people don't even know what that land looks like. They've been in Egypt all of their lives for back for 400 years back. So Yahweh is saying, you're going to come to the land. Now, you remember the report of the 12 spies? All 12 agreed that the land was everything Yahweh said it would be. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land very productive. They even brought back those grapes, you know, on, on their backs and 
other things, just an, an example, a sample of what could be produced in this land, unlike anything those people had ever seen. So the land was everything that Yahweh said that it would be. And this is how it is. Uh, this is how it will be when they finally see the land. Only we know this, how that story goes, that they are afraid and won't go into the land. But at this point, they don't know that. They don't even know what the land is like. But Yahweh is already saying, you know, you work it, it'll be productive. You'll need to put some back so that the seventh year, the land has a rest. So in a sense, the people would also have a sabbatical year. There are still things that this is not like the law of the Sabbath, whereby on that seventh day of the week, they're not supposed to do anything. It's different from that. They'll still have things to do, chores to do, but they won't. They're told not to work the land every seventh year. So this is for the good of the land, which is part of the covenant. And it's good. It's for the good of the people. And it's good. It's for the good of the people perpetually for the, for the generations uh, that will come. So this is, the, this is the law of the Sabbath with regard to the Sabbath year for the land, which leads then to the law of the year of Jubilee in verses eight through 12. You shall count for yourself seven sabbatical years, seven years, seven times. And the days of these seven sabbatical years shall amount to 49 years for you. The seventh year would provide some rest for the people who were obviously would be hardworking people to work this land. The land would be productive. So, so they were to learn how to budget themselves in a sense and they would have a, a, a year whereby they could reflect on the goodness of God and, and so forth. But now this goes for the year of Jubilee here, count 49 years, and then you shall proclaim with a shofar blast. In the seventh month, on the 10th of the month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound the shofar throughout your land. That is after all those years. And you shall sanctify the 50th year and proclaim freedom for slaves throughout the land for all who live on it. And it shall be a jubilee for you. Now, the, the, that, that uh, Hebrew word that's translated jubilee, it's a shout of joy, a, a shout of relief. It's, like, it's almost like a victory shout after a war has been won or something. So this is, this is what the word jubilee means. Shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return each man to his property and you shall return each man to his family. This 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow nor shall you reap its aftergrowth or pick its grapes that you had set aside for yourself for its jubilee. It shall be holy for you and you shall eat its produce from the field. All right, on that 50th year, again, there'll still be something that will, that will come forth and it's okay, uh, but you're not supposed to do anything with regard to working, uh, to working the field, but it goes farther than that. It's a year of complete relief. It's, it's like everybody gets a new start. Suppose 
that in our nation, Yahweh had provided such a law and that would mean that on the 50th year, your, your debts would be paid. You would be restored to the land that, that had been yours if you had lost uh, your land. Uh, everybody gets a, a new start. It's, it's, a, it's, it's something unique for the people of God. So it's a jubilee. It's a, it's a victory. It's a shout of victory that, that God has brought them through these 49 years. It should be holy for you. It should be set aside. It's okay to eat the produce from the field as it comes forth naturally as it has been sown for all those years, but you're not supposed to sow the field. Now, in that jubilee is also the provision for the return of property. During this jubilee year, you shall return each man to his property. The, the, the land, there's a presupposition here that the people perhaps didn't completely understand at this point, but they will under Joshua when they cross the river and start fighting the Canaanites. And it is this. Once they cross the river, Joshua will be the one to lead them to their victories. They got to fight for it. I mean, it's, you know, Yahweh is there. So I'm going to give you the victory, but I want you to appreciate what you're going to have. So they had to fight for it. They had to fight wars. And then when at the end of the book of Joshua, it all comes to a rest, Joshua begins to dispense the land. People have their portion of the land. Now, in the Israelite culture and economy, families within tribes would have their own land. And this was never to stop. They were to always be the people of that land and the tribe was always to be the people of that particular parcel of land. In the course of 49 years, something could happen. Who knows what? Um, the head of the house could be sick. He could lose his crops and then he could lose money and he couldn't do... Or he's foolish and he, foolishes, he foolishly uh, squanders his, his wealth away. Whatever. People would lose their land during those 49 years to someone. This is where the book of the Revelation comes in, for example. There's a scroll, you know. There's a scroll at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And that scroll is sealed seven times. And no one in heaven was worthy, no one on earth, no one under the, nobody was worthy as the strong angel held the scroll except for the lamb of God, the Christ of God. Only he could break the seals. So on one side of the deed of the scroll would be the description of the property that had been lost with a clear understanding to who had lost that property for that period of time. On the other side of the scroll would be written the terms of redemption. This is how what was lost 
can be redeemed. Well, in the case of the revelation, of course, it's, it's the redemption of the world. Uh, here, it would be the redemption of a parcel of land that would belong to a tribe, a parcel within a parcel that belonged to a family. And a piece of that family's parcel would belong to a particular family unit and somehow somebody lost it. But it really can never be lost. This is the will of God. This has to be such that the time can come that he can regain his property. So when you make a sale to your neighbor or make a purchase from the hand of your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall purchase from your neighbor. According to the number of the years of crops, he shall sell to you. Going to prorate this thing. You would, you would expect to receive more for your inheritance land in the third year after a Jubilee then you would expect to receive 10 years before the next Jubilee. You see that the value of whoever had an interest in the land would be diminished as the time moved in closer to the year of Jubilee. That's what's being said here. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't wrong one another. Do this right. Do it by, if you, want, if you want to, by proration, whatever. According to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. The more the remaining years, you shall increase its purchase price. And the fewer the remaining years, you shall decrease its purchase price because he is selling you a number of crops. And you shall not wrong one man, his fellow Jew or his neighbor, and you shall fear your God, for I am Yahweh, your God. You shall perform my statutes, keep my ordinances, and perform them. Then you will live on the land securely. So here's what Yahweh is saying. The culture, the economy, the stability of the population will remain secure, but you'll have to follow the law of Jubilee. You can't, uh, you can't, if, if your brother, if your fellow Jew, if your fellow Israelite, if he is extraordinarily destitute and you're just five years in, you can't cheat him as though, as though, it's a different time in that period of time. Can't do, they have to be fair to him and give him the fair price. And this will maintain security and stability. And everybody is under this uh, statute of the year of Jubilee. You shall perform my statutes, keep my ordinances and perform them. And then you will know that the land, which will include the population, you cannot separate the land from Israel, nor Israel from the land. Then you will know that you can live securely on the land. This will, this will establish 
stability in the economy and it will keep the people in the land that I have promised them. Sooner or later, they get their land back. So here then is the blessing of obedience. And the land will then yield its fruit and you will eat to, sa- you'll eat to satisfaction and live upon it securely. Follow these rules. The land will produce. You will be secure and stable as a population. And if you should say, what will we eat in the seventh year? We will not sow and will not gather in our produce. Know then that I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year and it will yield produce for three years. You'll have a real good bumper crop in the sixth year. You'll have enough to lay aside for three years. Should have already been making provisions, however, looking for that seventh year. And you will sow in the eighth year while still eating from the old crops until the ninth year, until the arrival of its crop, and you will eat the old crop. Now, this is God's promise. This is the blessing of obedience. If you're obedient, God says, I will take care of you. It won't be up to you how much it produces. You just be obedient to these statutes, these ordinances, and this obedience will bring you my blessing. This is your land and you are my people and I have placed you in this land. This is the land that I've given you and it will always work right for you. I went to the Holy Land the first time when I was 19 years old. That was in 1972 before I had turned, no, how old am I? I was born in 1951. It was in 1971 before I turned 20 later that year. And our guide, our guides were all Jewish people. Now this, man, that was 50 years ago, right? (laughs) Oh, well. And he would, we would go out into the countryside and they would show us in a place where, I mean, on the side of hills, the sides of hills that were like this and these places that were just out there and they were producing crops and trees that produced fruit were growing. They'd carry carry us around this bus and show us all this stuff. Then they would show us pictures of what that very land had looked like before the Jew came back into the land. It was a desert. It was sand and rocks and scorpions and, and there was nothing there. But the blessing of the land comes to the Jew. Why? Because God said so. That's why. It's his pleasure to do it that way. They're not always right. They're not always good. But they are always under his word. Because it's his word that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Now I look at those same places these days. And how much more plush is that land these days? They're producing water out of the ground. They have this way of evaporation and condensation and such. They've created a way to gather water where there didn't seem to be water. But if the ground and the sun come together in such a way, water droplets come together and they have machines that just gather all that stuff up and the land is producing water where there was no water. Producing crops where there were no crops. The Jew and his land 
go together and there is a blessing of obedience. I can only imagine how it must have looked when the Israelites first went into that land, how plush and wonderful and beautiful and God arranged it to be that way so that it would already be prepared for his people to go there. Now within this also is the law of redemption. The land shall not be sold permanently. If you're not the family unit and you're not of this tribe, you can't own that land, but for a certain amount of time, you can't own it permanently. Nor can you sell it to other people outside Israel. Here's why. For the land belongs to me. That's what Yahweh said. It's not really yours. It's mine. The land belongs to me for you are strangers and temporary residents with me. Therefore, throughout the land of your possession, you shall give redemption for the land. If something goes wrong, there's a provision for someone to be redeemed or for his land, his possession to be redeemed. It goes like this. If your brother becomes destitute, sells some of his inherited property, his redeemer who is related to him shall come forth and redeem his brother's sale. Family members were obligated to other family members. Gentiles, people from other nations, they could not own this land. And if a man does not have a redeemer, but he gains enough means to afford its redemption, he shall calculate the years for which the land has been sold and return the remainder to the man to whom he sold it. And then he may return to his inheritance. This is a law, this is a statute of God. You have to treat this man this way. I'm not going to let you lose money, but I'm not going to let you keep his land permanently and I'm not going to let you take advantage of him. He shall calculate the years for which the land has been sold, return it to the remainder of the man to whom he sold it. Then he may return to his inheritance. But if he cannot afford enough to repay him, his sale shall remain in the possession of the one who has purchased it until the year of Jubilee. And then in the Jubilee year, it shall go out and revert to his inheritance. When a man sells a residential house in a walled city, its redemption may take place until the completion of the year of its sale. Its period of redemption shall be a full year. But if it is not redeemed by the end of a complete year, then that house, which is in the city that has a wall, shall remain permanently the property of the one who purchased it. So it doesn't apply to, to, to houses within walled cities throughout his generations. It will not leave his possession in the, in the Jubilee. So if you're going to invest, it's probably best to invest in a house inside a walled city, right? But houses in open cities, which do not have a wall surrounding them, are to be considered as the field of the land, and it may have redemption and shall leave the purchaser's possession in the Jubilee. And regarding the cities of the Levites, the houses of their inherited cities shall forever have a right of redemption for the Levites. The Levites didn't have a parcel of land. They did have sections and they had cities that that were given to them. And in the case of the Levites, this always had to remain in their possession. And if one purchases uh, from the Levites, 
whether a house or an inherited city, will leave the possession of the purchaser in the Jubilee because the houses of the cities of the Levites are their inherited property amidst the sons of Israel. And a field in the open areas of their cities cannot be sold because it is their eternal inheritance. I think I need a new battery. There we go. Provision now for the redemption of the poor. If your brother becomes destitute and his hand falters beside you, you shall support him, whether a convert or a resident, so that he can live with you. You shall not take from him interest or increase, and you shall fear your God and let your brother live with you. You shall not give him your money uh, with interest, nor shall you give your food with increase. I am Yahweh, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. Redemption of the bondmen. If your brother becomes destitute with you and is sold to you, do not work him with slave labor. As an employee or a hired resident, he shall be with you. Until the Jubilee year, he shall work with you. Then he shall leave you, he and his children with him, and he shall return to his family and resume the status of his fathers. But he cannot be a slave. No Israelite, no Hebrew, no Israelite could ever be a slave in the law. He could serve in this sense as an employee, but never to be considered a slave. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and they shall not be sold as a slave is sold. You shall not work him with rigor and you shall fear your God, your male slave or female slave whom you may have from the nations that are around you. From them you may acquire a male slave or a female slave and also from the children of the residents that live among you from them you may acquire slaves and from their family that is with you whom they begot in your land and they shall become your inheritance. Now it's different for Gentile slaves. You shall hold on to them as an inheritance for your children after you as an acquired property and may thus have them serve you forever. But as for your brethren, the sons of Israel, a man shall not work his brother with rigor. So there was a provision then for the Israelites to have slaves and to use them to work them as slaves if they came from the Gentile nations. This was the difference that Yahweh had made between the Israelite who was his possession and the Gentile who was not. It's a it sounds harsh, but the beauty of it is it shows, it shows the blessing of being of God's people. Now, and of course, that's an economy in a day that is different from anything that we could have ever known. Now, the servants are different. If a sojourner or a stranger gains wealth with you and your brother becomes destitute, with him and is sold to the stranger or a sojourner among you or to a member of the family of a stranger. After he is sold, he shall have redemption. 
One of his brothers shall redeem him. You cannot let him be with other people. He cannot be a slave. Or his uncle or his cousin shall redeem him. Or the closest other relative from his family, family shall redeem him. If he becomes able to afford it, he can be redeemed on his own. He shall calculate with his purchaser the number of years from the year of his being sold to him until the jubilee year. Then the purchase price shall be divided by the number of years as the days of a hired worker. He shall be with him. If there are still many years, according to them, he shall return his redemption money out of the money for which he was purchased. You got that? But if only a few years remain until the Jubilee year, he shall make the same calculation. According to his years that remain until Jubilee, he shall return the redemption money. And he shall be with him as an employee, hired year by year. He shall not enslave him with rigor in your sight. And if he is not redeemed through any of these ways, he shall go out in the Jubilee year, he and his children with him. They'll just have to survive until the Jubilee, but then they're set free. For the sons of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants, whom I took out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh. Your God. This is instruction, as I've said, for the stability of the people, for the stability of the culture, for the stability of the nation, and for God to fulfill his covenant both regarding the people and the land. The people and the land always go together. Yahweh never forgets that, never does. So in what's really a very, if you sit down and look at it and you write it out and you think about it, this regarding the nation of Israel is a very benevolent way to live. It's very kind. It's, it's, it's something that uh, if you mess up, it'll cost you a little bit, but not forever. God makes provisions for you to be restored, but he also makes provisions for you to be cared for by his people, his people to be cared for by his people. According to his grace and his goodness and his purpose for these people, these people have a very special purpose. Now we're studying David on Wednesday nights. David isn't on the scene yet. So we have to back up um, hundreds of years and think of how here, just like in the time of David, regarding David who carried the covenant of the Lord then, how he protected David. So Yahweh protects these people because his covenant to bring a redeemer, a great redeemer, and all these lessons of redemption, everything points to the Christ all of this is so that Yahweh will take his responsibility to protect his people from the nations of the world because at the appointed time, Yahweh, through Israel and then through Judah and then through the house of David, will bring forth the great Redeemer, his Christ and our Savior. Let's stop there and we'll pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, 
We thank you that you are our benevolent God. That in so many other ways you care for us and provide for us. Even through your people, your other people, you provide for us. And teach us how to provide for each other. For your love and your kindness. and For the blessing that you give to us. And the promises that are placed upon us. We are so grateful. And we are thankful. Teach us, O oh Lord, to walk in obedience to your word. And to be thankful and filled with gratitude for your grace, your kindness, your provisions, and your direction in our lives always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.